0: Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this live broadcast of The Sunday Wire, episode 136. Uh, We are in the second hour, and we're joined by our guest. Uh, We've got the live link from Damascus. Uh, established over the break and uh, on the other end uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Jamila Asi and uh, she is a the editor-in-chief of uh, Shababik Surya uh, in Damascus this is a new a citizen journalism project which is being set up and uh, we are looking forward to seeing what they're going to be doing uh, in the coming months but uh, she's joining us now live uh, Jamila are you there
1: good evening
0: Good evening, good evening. So uh, I know it's probably uh, a little bit later there. I think you're a couple hours ahead of us.
1: Yes, now it's, it's uh, 8, 8, Damascus time.
0: Okay, and uh, so Jamila, we're here live in studio. Uh, we're, we're in the UK column here with Mike Robinson and Vanessa Bealy And Hi, everybody. And uh, say hello to everybody.
1: Hi. Hello. Hi. Nice to be with you all. Wonderful to have you here. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with you too.
0: So, so Jamila, let's get started off, uh, you know, just to give our listeners a little bit of a background um, of uh, what you're doing, and also just give us your general thoughts uh, and feelings uh, about uh, what's going on at the moment in uh, Syria. We've covered, obviously, a lot of these issues and specifics mm-hmm. on our website over the last few months, uh, but just give us your general thoughts, and then we'll, I want to talk about the uh, the elections uh, of of recent as well, because this is something that has been completely uh, blacklisted from the media in the West. No one knows that uh, there are any elections going on in Syria. Uh, That's the first place I want to start, but just give us your general thoughts, a little introduction, your general thoughts and feelings about the situation right now in your country.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Patrick and Vanessa and and all the people like you, because what you're trying to do is quite amazing as you are walking against the mainstream media in your countries where people are being deluded by false narratives about what is actually happening in Syria and your coverage of certain issues in Syria in the last couple of months, especially the elections things, was quite impressive. And also um, many other activists um, on social networks and uh, blogs and websites, they're trying to do their best to show the truth about what is happening in Syria. Because the war on my country is now actually expanding and it's reaching Europe and it's reaching um, Asia and it's reaching everywhere. So, uh, what you are doing is really great. I'd like to thank you, first of all, for that. About the situation in Syria now, uh, life is, is actually not any better in terms of, um, military, military situation because the aggression of terrorist groups is now increasing with the, um, support of. Those that we all know are United States and Gulf Gulf states and other countries. So now the fighting is getting worse. And um, today, um, many terrorist groups announced that the uh, cessation of hostilities is dead for them. They no longer uh, agree on that. And um, actually, this is quite funny to, to hear because I never felt that they actually stopped because we kept hearing about massacres, we kept hearing about... Um, uh, terrorist attacks, and we kept hearing about um, uh, bombings and rockets sh- uh, shelling all cities in Syria, and especially Aleppo. You must have heard about that. Aleppo has been in very bad situation in the last uh, month. And last massacre also we heard about was in al-Zahra, in Homs, where um, we still don't have an official number at the beginning, they were like 50, 70, and now people are talking about 100 to 120 people slaughtered in their, house, in their houses because of their religious beliefs or because they did not belong to, um, to those um, armed militias or terrorist groups, better to call them. And we on Shababik have published an infograph that shows the um, massacres that have happened in Homs since the beginning of the Syrian war, since 2011, until May 2016. And if you take a look at those numbers, they are terrifying. Those are people who have been slaughtered inside their houses, who have been targeted by um, car attacks, by bombings. And I can't imagine this is happening somewhere else in the world. I wouldn't wish it to anybody. But um, I really want people outside Syria. We don't have really uh, strong media speaking in English in Syria. And my project, this is what me and the people working with me are trying to do. We're trying to deliver an image of what is really happening in Syria, of what is being kept from the public, in Western media. Like, I I can't remember uh, the CNN or BBC or uh, Fox News or other journals, important journals, talking about those innocent people who were just murdered because they lived somewhere that was secured by government forces. That was their crime. And uh, now we're trying to uh, show people things that they cannot see anywhere else. I hope that this project will develop to be something bigger and stronger. And hopefully next month we will be launching a website where we will be welcoming um, different contributors to share us their opinions, their experiences, even uh, their reality. People sending us live videos, live photos and live coverage from where they live because um, reporters and news agencies, some, most of the time, choose what they want to broadcast. But people who live the suffering are the ones that can give you the true image. The situation now in Syria is, um, it's really, really hard to put it in in one sentence or to say that it's all bad or it's all good. It's all bad because we're still losing people. There is still blood. In the streets, there are still people kidnapped. There are still families that have been displaced. Um, Mothers who have lost their sons. Brothers who have seen their sisters being raped before their eyes. People who have lost all their life. And um, so socially, the life is not any better now. Because around 12 million Syrians have been displaced. That is no secret to anybody. Part of them was displaced inside Syria and a big part of them was um, left somewhere outside Syria, to Turkey or to Europe or other places. And um, so this is really sad. Financial situation now, economic economy is in its worst situations. Now, um, one U.S. dollar is for about 650 Syrian pounds. And five years ago, back in uh, the beginning of 2011... One Syrian pounds was for about forty eight. Uh, one one US dollar, sorry, was about forty eight dollars. So imagine the um, the disaster that is that is now, and when you have bad economy and we, when you don't have security all over the place, you can you can imagine um, the situation there. But but we also need to look at the bright bright side. Well, before war. We had uh we had a quiet and peaceful life. We had free health care. We had free health care for cancer. Do you know that people who have cancer in Syria used to go to hospital and get full therapy without paying a single penny? And now after war we still have free health care, we still have free education. We still have institutions operating in uh, areas that are protected by the Syrian army. And this is really miraculous because after five years of global um, war from all countries with mercenaries coming from all over the world fighting in the name of some sort of religion or God that I don't seem to understand, that I have never seen before in my country, I am now 31 years old, and I come from Bera, which is um, where the entire thing started in Syria. And I am from a Muslim Orthodox family, but I still have in my family people from other sects and religions. And I can't remember that any of us ever displaced, displayed such extremism and such tendency to kill to kill and to exclude the other. So... Those people who came to us and carried with them, uh, that hatred and that thirst for killing and for, for destroying such a beautiful country is really, really, really shocking and it's really heartbreaking. So people now are doing all what they can to stay strong, and to resist all the attempts to break them and to demotivate them. People still go to their jobs, students still take their exams. Like now, there are general exams in Syria where um, the students in their final years all over Syria, Syria take the exam at the same time. So those exams are being held in Syria despite... The very bad military situation. So people do not want to give up. Many people, you have still uh, millions of Syrians inside Syria who refuse to leave the country despite all the difficulties. I know many families who were displaced from Hasakah and then moved to Halab and then they moved to Homs and still they prefer to die inside Syria and not leave their country at this time of hardship. So this gives a great impression about the Syrian people who are trying to do their best for their country because their country has given them a lot. And now is the best time to to pay back um, your country.
0: And uh, Jamila, I wanted to ask you as well. I mean, uh, the elections recently, this is something that was completely left out. The yes,
1: election parliamentary elections well they took place uh um over a month ago and i was really surprised how the western media completely ignored that i expected that um it would receive more attention but they just ignored it uh there were parliamentary elections in syria there were people who uh, participated? Who voted? People who, um, people who tried, and even people from Raqqa, which is now t- taken by ISIS, they had the chance to um, to nominate themselves and to to go into the elections in other in other governorates. And I think that this is amazing. Walking in Damascus and seeing advertisements for a person from Idlib or from raqqa or from their resort, because we do not want to deprive those people who have been displaced from their cities and have to move to another city. They still have the right to have their voice heard in the parliament. And this is why there mm, were some sort of... Um, Things were made easier for them to participate in the elections and to make their voice heard. People went there, people voted... It doesn't matter whether they voted with a blank paper or whether they had a tick on it. What matters for us all, that people now are more determined than ever to go and make their voice heard in a very, really democratic way. Not democracy of the U.S. and, and European leaders, no. Democracy of like, okay, I have a chance to make my voice heard. I will do it no matter what. And if I don't have a chance, I will create it, but the right way, not the violent way, not with a weapon, but uh, with my brain and with my logic and with my intellect. This is um, this was the case. And if you go to social media networks, you will see thousands of posts on Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere. People posted about that experience, many groups on Facebook uh, and many friends of mine, even uh uh, Western France shared those posts. But as usual, that was typical mainstream media behavior to ignore these things. So yes, we Syrians, we went, we voted, and we chose the people who want to represent us. Well, if I didn't get the person I want, that doesn't mean that I will start babbling that didn't go the right way and etc. Because elections are elections everywhere. But what matter is, like what you said, is that it really took place, despite the situation inside Syria, a country that is now where we have uh, two cities taken by terrorists, uh, by ISIS, Deir Zor and Raqqa, and we have Aleppo under siege, it has been under siege for, for years now, and we have... Um, the uh, uh, Ghouta, it was also, it, it's witnessing very, very fierce fighting. So we have a huge part of Syria, we're talking about almost 50% or more, that is under very heavy fighting, under terrorist attacks. Still, people defied all that and participated in, in those elections.
0: And uh, I just uh, I just want to cut to the chase as well. I want to get your opinion on this because uh, I'm 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 reading and looking at my Secretary of State uh, John Kerry uh, at the United Nations here, and he's basically saying you've just described to me uh, people participating in uh, uh, democracy, people engaged in elections, despite being really under siege from a foreign uh, terror- and a foreign backed terrorist threat. Uh, John Kerry is saying that your government in Damascus is not legitimate, uh, that uh, it needs to go, (laughs) and uh, a transition needs to happen. And he's blaming your government in Syria for attracting foreign fighters to join Daesh or ISIS. And so. And
1: me, and me, Jamila Asi, here from the heart of Damascus, I announce that his government is not illegitimate, is not legitimate and that he is the real cr- criminal and that his government is the real cl- criminal because a person who acknowledges uh FSA Free Syrian Army and Ahrar al-Sham and Jaysh al-Fatah and all those groups he does not have the courage even to say that those are terrorists so a person who considers those people as moderate rebels or moderate head choppers i'm sorry i can't take his word and he has the right to say this when we ask for his help but we never asked for his help and it is it is no secret to anybody that no matter whenever the us doesn't like a government or doesn't like a country then Make sure that those people are doing the right thing. This is this is very simple. Look what they have done to Libya. Libya was a beautiful country. Gaddafi was a crazy leader, okay, but you have no right to start a crazy revolution over there and to slaughter the president in that way. Go see what they have done in Iraq. They they entered Iraq. I remember I was I was at school when they entered Iraq and I can't forget that day. March 21st, 2003, it was a nightmare for all of us because what we have seen on that day, the American airplanes hitting Iraq and destroying that beautiful country, that beautiful civilization, those museums that have been robbed, the infrastructure that were destroyed in a couple of days. Is that democracy? Is that U.S. democracy? Afghanistan that has been also destroyed systematically by us and uk governments tony blair and bush and all all their attorneys and all those people yemen now yemen in arabic we call it al Yemen al sa'id is happy yemen and now it's anything but happy and all of all that is because of us foreign policy it's it's not peace making policy it is terror Terror creating policy, terror sponsoring policy. So I don't think that he has any right to condemn how we run our country. Especially, especially the day and night he is shaking hands with with one of the leaders of the most extremist states in the world, which is Saudi Arabia. He benefits from that. Government And he takes money and he takes oil and he takes everything. And so how can I trust a person who shakes hands with a Wahhabi, with an extremist and ju- trust his judgment? Who is he to say that what I'm what I am doing is democratic or not? This is this is not this is not his right at all. No.
0: I mean, how does the, I'm, I have to ask this question again, because how does, how do you and people who you speak to in Syria, can you imagine, uh, a, U, a United States government, uh, Washington DC, who is openly admitted that they're flooding your country with weapons, illegal mm-hmm. weapons, tow missiles, guns, uh, who are cash, uh US mm-hmm. military special forces trainers to mm-hmm. work with what they call rebels which we know are terrorists mm-hmm. and, and then they're they're wanting to dictate the terms of peace at the same time meanwhile they're undermining your country under the table but mm-hmm. but not even under the table over the table open mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how can people
1: up yeah. people how, how here do
0: this how do you see this
1: people here people here react to these things in pretty much Um, aggressive manner. We have a very negative attitude towards uh, such statements and towards such behavior. And um, we have, we have, we we are trying, we are trying not to respond in the same way. We are trying to um, just uh, focus on, on, on what is happening on the ground. Because He is too little for us, the Syrians. As for me, I'm I'm very sorry, but as for me, he is too little to even consider or listen to because paying attention to the warriors, defending me on the ground is much, much more important. I would listen to a sane person. I would listen even to a crazy person because sometimes crazy people could be creative, okay? But a person like him, he sounds like a drum. So people here just... Got used to those statements, and now they don't pay heed to them because, more or less, it's it's nothing more than babbling. It's and actually, actually, this sort of babbling have has increased recently after the uh, progress that has been made on the ground after the um, Russian intervention. So those those statements by Kerry, by Obama, and by all uh, United States government, they are. We keep hearing them every day. How do we react to them? Actually, we don't give a damn to, the, to those people. Why? Because we know that talking does nothing. Only defending your country with your word and with your weapon and with your brain is what protects you. If you if you keep listening to those people, you will gain nothing. Okay? So we don't actually... Um, and the threat that he made today also... Was, was really really crazy.
0: Explain that. Just explain what that threat is for our listeners. Well,
1: today, today I, I, I read this uh, this morning where he spoke. He said something like, uh, "If um, if middle uh, if Middle East countries do not uh, stress or do not pressure uh, Syrian regime to, um, to 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 go away, and then." This will be an endless war in Syria. So again, once again, they clearly and in a very, very rude way, they announce that, yes, we control whether this war continues or stops because we are the ones giving funds. We are the ones giving arms. And this is very much contradicting to what they say, to what they claim, because they claim to have the, ita- the the intention to cooperate with the Russians, to target uh, terrorist areas? Well, coalition uh, has been there for almost three years now, and it was led by the U.S. Why hasn't the coalition been able to prevent ISIS from entering Palmyra? Why hasn't the U.S. let coalition prevent uh, ISIS from putting Aleppo and, and ISIS and Nusra and Jaysh al-Fatah and all those groups that to me are all the same? I have... I cannot distinguish between all of them. To me, those are only names, but in heart they are one. So why hasn't the coalition been able to open the, uh, to, to, to remove the siege from Aleppo? Why hasn't they been able to liberate raqqa or to, um, to liberate al Ruta, like has been done last month? I can't understand that. So they say something and they do the opposite. And this is why we really stopped paying heed to them long time ago. And the threat that he made today is actually nothing to us. It's not worth a penny for us. Why? Because we have real soldiers on the, on the ground defending who have left their lives, who have left their, all their dreams just to defend a small piece of land on this planet. And those soldiers, they are the only hope that we still have. People... Who insist to stay inside Syria? I guess that all those people who have been displaced from their homes and decided to stay inside Syria despite the bad situation, what they have done is the best reaction to Kerry's statements and to his threat today. People who are going back to their homes in many areas in Syria, in Homs, many people returned to their neighborhoods. What these people are doing is how we react to to such statements. This is the the easiest answer that I can think of. We do not react to him by um, answering back or by throwing statements and announcements like he does. No, we answer and we fire back by resisting and by surviving and staying strong inside our country and by trying to show the truth through social media, through the written word, through websites and blogs and etc. So this is the best response that we have. This is the best reaction that we have is to uh, stay standing and not give up at all.
0: Yeah, the uh, threat that was made uh, by the U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry was basically that uh just to reiterate what you said that if if the uh middle east doesn't put pressure on uh, the assad regime as he calls it uh to leave then this war will continue the fighting will continue the destabilization will continue and we have a a term in in our culture uh jamila it's called a protection racket and this Mm -hmm. this is when the mafia comes by your house or your shop or your business and someone comes and smashes your window, and then the mafia comes by the next day and says, well, you know, it's a shame what happened to your uh, business, and uh, your neighborhood, uh, but if you pay us $500 or you do what we say, we'll, we'll make sure it's safe here. In other words,
1: exactly. There'll be, exactly. No more, there'll
0: be no more crime, so as long as you cooperate with us. This is called a protection racket, and what well, John Kerry is running an international protection racket from what, what I can see here.
1: Exactly. And and going to Vienna and negotiating with those terrorists is something that does not represent me or does not represent any Syrian here. All those people who went to fancy hotels in Turkey, in uh, Sweden, in Geneva, in, in Vienna, all those people who left Syria and then had one tone to repeat all the time, bombs and battles and and change regime and, and all those things, they do not represent me or represent any of the Sicilians who stayed here. So negotiating with those people was not our choice. It was not my choice. I would never, I would rather be killed than negotiate with somebody who thinks that the other person is an infidel just because he doesn't repeat the same phrases or does not have the same belief. How does he accept as a democratic liberal american who comes from this great country and that knows all ethnicities that has people of all colors that has the greatest diversity in the world how can he accept to negotiate with somebody who now threatens his country those extremists now threaten america and threaten europe we also saw the attacks on paris we also years ago Very, like, or I guess 10 years ago, attacks in London, attacks in Madrid. Who did those uh, attacks? Extremist peoples who have no brains, have only hatred. And he is negotiating with those people. So um, this does not represent us. We did not choose this. We only understand. And one thing, we understand that those terrorists killing us, destroying our country, destroying the infrastructure, destroying our lives, our dreams, our past and our future. Those people, once you stop funding them, Mr. Kerry, once you stop paying them money, once you stop giving them arms, and then when they leave our country and when they are all put to courts in their countries, all those jihadis, when they come back to their countries, when they are put to court, when they are put to prison and when they are are fairly punished... Then we might, we might, I'm not sure, but we might be ready to talk with anybody all over the world. Now we can only trust those who are helping us, people who came all the way from their country, like Russia, and who are now targeting terrorists. They are our allies. So if you want to be an ally, yes, but for the past five years, you have been nothing but an absolute devil. You have been the greatest enemy to us, because all what you did was just nurturing those those criminals that are slaughtering us every day with every sunrise and every sun, sunset. You are slaughtering every Syrian citizen staying inside Syria. So you have no right to threaten and you have no right to legalize or illegalize things. You have no right to judge us whether we are democratic or not. So... It's, it's very easy and very obvious. And I hope, I hope that people in Europe, people in America, people in Asia, people in Africa, people all over the world, just just turn off their TVs and stop listening to mainstream media. Let them go listen to those people who are inside Syria. Let them listen to activists, foreign activists who are now taking the risk in coming to Syria Many people, I don't know if you have heard about that, but many people have come here, many activists like Eva Bartlett, like Janice Kortkamp, like Tim Anderson. Now there is a Australian sports team here in Syria. All those people, despite the mainstream media propaganda, they refused to believe that. They packed their bags and came all the way here to Syria to see what is actually happening and to tell the people back in their country. What is the happening? So this is this is a special request from me, a Syrian modest um, citizen, to all people of, of the world. Imagine that what is happening now in Syria is happening in your country. Imagine that a Zara massacre happened in a village near London or in a little town near Paris or in a very little And modest um, town near maybe, I don't know, Berlin. Just imagine, imagine one people being murdered with cold blood in his bed. Imagine that happening in your country. I bet that you wouldn't like to see that. So if you don't want to see see that happening to you, and I don't hope, I don't wish with anybody on earth, even my enemy. I don't wish even my enemy to see what is happening here. So all people should just... Try to close their eyes and listen to the sound of truth. Listen to us, Syrians, who are inside Syria and who are not just repeating blind propagandas of mainstream media. Try to listen to those activists, those independent activists who came all the way here to Syria. Go, go to their uh, social media pages, to their websites, try to contact them and see what is happening. And by the way, you can come here now it's in cities. It's it's much more secure than before. We are moving a bit more freely, and cities like Damascus, like uh, like Homs, like Latakia, like Tartus, like suida all these those cities are now the heart of cities is secure. And many people came here, aware, shocked that we we live a normal life. So you can come here. This is an invitation from me to all people who really feel confused, like who should we believe? We have those white. Helmets, they have all those videos and they have all this propaganda. Well, white helmets cover what they want to cover. If you don't believe, just come and see yourself. Or if you don't trust me as a Syrian, you would think that I am a supporter of the regime. By the way, I'm not a supporter of anybody. If you don't trust me, fine. Do you trust your, your, um, your co-citizen if you are a British? Do you trust a British person? Okay, there are many British people who came here actually to see what is happening, and they reported that on their pages. There are many people like you, Patrick, like Vanessa, like other people who are reporting the truth or who are at least trying to report objectively. Let me say that, reporting objectively without following a blind propaganda. So people who are worried about the... um the the terrorist the terrorist attacks reaching their countries well if you don't want to see that coming you should just open your eyes open your eyes very well and this is actually why we took the slogan open your eyes in our in my project shababik we are using that slogan now because as you said as you said now we are living the age of lies where everything is is upside down where terrorists are moderate rebels and where criminals are democratic governors, and etc. So you have a, a huge flow of media everywhere. You have people talking all the place around you, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, uh, on Instagram, everywhere. So you just need to, to just focus a little bit and try to follow the truth, because the truth is always very obvious, and it shows itself. Just don't follow blindly what you hear on the news what you read in journals, what you see in videos, because fabrication is very easy. Lying is very easy. And always showing the truth is very difficult because when you show the truth, this truth actually could be against you. But if you are brave enough, you would say it no no matter what. And recently, uh, somebody on Facebook, uh, an activist who started working with us, not a long time ago, Lina Ibrahim, she wrote a very interesting article. It was very critical talking about Russian mercenary um, uh, who liberated Palmyra. That was very much, very much critical for, for people to, to accept, because talking about Russian mercenary here, it was not acceptable. We know okay, we have Russian Air Force. But she had a point of view and she had some sort of solid argument. So people listened to her even though they did not um, find it easy to accept what she has presented, it, presented but she presented it in a very logical way in a very argumentative way not just like using ready made statements stuffed into videos or articles that like um, uh, mainstream media is doing so this is, this is something really important for people to, to pay heed to now I think
0: and I, I just want to make a point as well, and I want to ask your, your feelings on this too. I'm looking at uh, my uh, John Kerry uh, here on my video screen uh, during the UN uh, statement he made at the uh, Vienna uh, State mm-hmm. at Mistura. And I'm looking at John Kerry, who himself was a veteran of the Vietnam War. Uh, which was a very, uh, bloody war, which was very damaging, uh, to the social fabric of the United Mm -hmm. States during the 1960s and 70s. And this is a war where there were, the U.S. lost, uh, on the battlefield 55,000, uh, young, young men, uh, -hmm. whose average age was 19 and over a period of 10 years. Now, I want to, and this is the United States with, at the time, a population of about 280 million. Now, I want to put this in perspective. In Syria, in only uh, the last uh, four years, five five years. Five years,
1: yes.
0: The last five years, a total of, uh, from, my, from my estimation, what I've researched, uh, uh, between sixty and 70,000 security police and soldiers have died uh, in this war. Is this an accurate figure? And, you
1: could repeat the figure, please. Uh,
0: f- f- between sixty and 70,000?
1: Uh, yes, you could speak about that easily, I guess.
0: Okay, now...
1: And all of them, and the majority of them, by the way, yep. now in Syria, an entire generation, the generation of 80s, young men, that generation now is, is a rare kind, by the way, in Syria. 80s and 90s now is really, um, it's, the situation is disastrous, and this will show up in the coming years. And we in Shababik wrote an article uh, in the very beginning about that, uh, in the beginning of our project. Now you have a generation of young people, uh, of young men who have either died uh, in the war as they were soldiers in the army, or... Those who have joined uh, some terrorist groups, or they have left the country, and this will have drastic social effects on Syria in the coming years on on very on different on different levels. So yes, the figure you have found is 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 reasonable somehow. Yes,
0: and in proportion yes. to the population of Syria, you know that had a huge effect on the United States. Um, but so the effect on Syria as a country, on the society, on the culture, on families—I'm sure that you know every single family who you know or speak to has somebody who has lost somebody.
1: I have personally, I have personally lost, lost, um, uh, lost uh, my cousins in, in this in this ugly fighting, and there is no Syrian family from any religion—Christian, Muslim, or any other uh, sect, uh, different sects. All families have lost a beloved person. All families, and if not uh, th- that, kidnapped. Now stories of kidnapping are really horrifying. Only last week, uh, there was this really sad story in Damascus in um, al-Mu'adamiyah, where a young woman with her um, three months old baby she she disappeared. She was going to the doctor, and then her neighbor offered to uh, to drive her to, to her destination and she was never heard about for about a week. And then they called her husband saying um, that we have your wife and your baby child who is three months old and they have raped his wife and they made him hear her screams and shouts as they were torturing her. I'm sorry, this is very difficult, but yeah. I must tell the story. So those stories, imagine imagine how, how, how the life of those people have turned into a nightmare. People now lost all sense of the meaning of life. Basic essentials are not available. We don't have electricity. If, if we have it 10 hours in a day, that would be heaven. Hot water, that is a dream. Internet, not all the time. Um, prices, they're going crazy. And now there are those stories that are just horrifying. And this woman who was kidnapped, they, they asked for something like 30 million Syrian pounds, which is which is a fortune. They asked it from a man who has nothing. And there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of similar stories. People who have lost uh, organs in this war, people who have lost their entire family, go and see stories about children who now sleep in the streets, sleep in gardens, sleep in parks, because they have no place to stay, because they have been displaced, and in the new place where they live, they've lost their family. So it will have disastrous effects on Syria. And actually, I am personally terrified terrified about what is happening, what is going to, what is the situation going to be later. Because now, actually what is happening with all the noise around us and all the fuss and all the fighting, we still don't have time to, to really understand what is happening. But when everything stops, when the noise stops, when fire, when firing at each other stops, and we all stand looking around us to see that everything is down to the ground, that we have lost all our past life, and that talking about a future is not as easy as it used to be. I think that is the terrifying moment when we would be looking at each other after we are all somehow metaphorically naked. We have naked each other because now that who who opposed the regime and that, who was pro-regime, are still in the same country. And after everything finishes, we will be looking at each other and say, look what we have done. We have allowed strangers to come inside our country just because of our political views. Well, if we stood one hand, we could have prevented much of that destruction, or at least we could have decreased the amount of destruction, not prevented Completely. So it's really horrifying socially, socially, economically, and politically, military, everything. It's, it's, really, it's really scary because before war, Syrians' uh, population, we were about 24 million Syrians. 12 million were displaced. Imagine, half of the population was displaced, whether inside or outside Syria, as refugees. And refugees, that is another long story that I do not want to, to go into now, but imagine half of the population of your country being displaced and a very huge geographical area is taken by, by terror, by extremists like ISIS and Al Nusra and other groups. And you have people from all nationalities fighting on your, on your land, and you have lost an entire generation, that of the 80s and the 90s. You have lost an entire generation. So think of marriage rates in the future. Think of uh, now we have rates of addictive drugs. is going, going crazy in Syria. People now are so much on sedative drugs because uh, the situation is too harsh for them, people who live in fighting areas. Cannot stand the sounds of of guns and um, of bullets all the time. Now, suicide rates are growing very highly in Syria. And this is scary, terrifying. So I think that Vietnam, it was very difficult and it was very bad. But I think that what is happening in Syria, it has never happened before in history. And... You will see that. You will see that when everything stops. And I hope it stops soon. But what has happened here is like nothing else. It is nothing like Vietnam. It is nothing like Libya. It is nothing like Yemen. It is nothing like Afghanistan. What is happening in Syria is way far beyond the imagination of any human being. Unless you come here and unless you see with your eye what is happening, no one on earth will be able to deliver to you the horror that people live every day the people the horror that people have been trying to resist for 5 years so it's it's really scary the implications of this war are are really are really hard to predict but one word to describe them it's it's horrifying really really horrifying and i hope that that my words Turn turn wrong in the very end. I hope that I I come to be wrong in the end.
0: And uh you know one one thing as well. I want to leave uh, our listeners with to, to a little bit of understanding. You know the in, in America, and I'll explain this to you, and I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. In America and Britain, they the the media and various charities help for they call them help for heroes, help for veterans. They call our, our, soldiers warriors. They call them mm-hmm. heroes. Even the ones that went to Iraq and destroyed, mm-hmm. destroyed the country, they still revered as heroes. And yet our media in the West, uh, in Europe and in North America characterize all soldiers in Syria, all police, all security. They, they characterize them as Assad's henchmen or like Hitler's army.
1: Exactly. Like, exactly. like, like a Nazi, I don't understand that. Like,
0: like a Nazi force. So they, they, they dehumanize them. And all, and I want you just to kind of illustrate the fact that these are all people who are giving their lives to defend their country like anyone else would in any other country in the world and are being demonized by John Kerry, by Barack Obama, by David Cameron, and by all, you know, and whoever else is joining in on this uh, party. Uh, a- and all they're doing is defending their homeland, defending when, their when, when- country.
1: Yes, when, when Iraq war started, this is, this is what I remember very clearly. When Iraq war started in 2003, I can't remember anybody saying George Bush army. I can't remember somebody saying Dick Cheney militia. I can't remember somebody saying in Libya now, uh, Hillary Clinton, Clinton fighters or Kerry, Kerry group or something. Why do you use this narrative? The, War of terminology is really, really, really dangerous, and I don't know if people pay much attention to that. Our soldiers who are now defending us, at least they are defending their land. Well, that person who traveled all the way to Iraq, who did the horrifying crimes in Iraqi prisons, we have all seen photos from Abu Ghrib. Well, I guess the person who did that came back to his country And he was a war veteran. He was a hero. Why? Because he went to Iraq and he fought. I don't know. What did he fight? Who did he fight? There was nothing but Iraqi people over there. I'm very sorry, but ask for me. Ask for me. I consider American soldiers who went to Iraq criminals. Why? Because you went to a country and you destroyed it. You killed its people. You, you, you destroyed the infrastructure, you stole the oil, you, ha- you committed horrifying crimes, you destroyed museums, cultures. The culture of Mesopotamia, of Iraq, of Babylon has been destroyed. By whom? By those soldiers. So how can your soldiers be criminals and they have come to other people's land and enter that land and usurped that land? And be heroes while those men who left their families, left their wives, their daughters, their sons, their dreams. One of my cousins has been in army for five years now. Can you imagine a 25-year-old young man spending five years of his life where he's supposed to be enjoying life, being in love with somebody building a career, establishing for a future, he gave up on all of that. And he refused to leave the country as a refugee to go and beg Erdogan to host him in his filthy country. He refused all that and insisted to stay here, to take his rifle and to see that. Every second, and to expect death every second, he refused all those temptations and insisted to stay here and defend me, and defend all, my, all the citizens of Syria, for me to be able to sit now comfortably in my house in Damascus. I live somewhere near Jobar, if you know it. I live in Tijara, and this is around one to two kilometers uh, near Jobar, which is the place from which all rockets and uh, mortar shells that target Damascus city are are hit from. And in order for me to be sitting now in my house, feeling safe and secure, that man gives up his life to defend me and to defend millions of Syrians who still stay inside Syria. So those are the true heroes, not those white helmet bloody things that I can't even stand to talk about them. They really just... They just hit on my nerves talking about those people as heroes and giving them Nobel Prize. Well, not even 100 Nobel Prizes are enough for those strong men and women and women who are defending this country. Those are the real heroes and those are the champions and those are who deserve all the gratitude and all the... Um, Thank in our heart. And no matter how we thank those people, we will never give them the right. They are not Assad army. They are not the men of Assad. Well, Assad, and by the way, just for um, people outside Syria to know, a Syrian soldier receives a month, something like 12,000 Syrian pounds. 12,000 Syrian pounds, it makes... um, we're talking about like fifty so less, t- yeah. less than $20, dear. Yeah, yeah. So imagine somebody accepting to do what he is doing for this amount of money. So trust me, those people are not fighting for Assad. And Syria is of Sunni majority. 85% of the population is Sunni. Only 10% are of Assad's sect, Alawites. Only 10%. So this army defending the country for 10 years, it can't be oh, all that 11%. That army is of Sunni majority. There are Christians over there, there are Armenians, there are uh, Sunnis, Alawites, Druze, Ismailis. People fighting in that army are of all religions. And they are not fighting for one person. Because if they were fighting for one person, well, that person much give them much money or much uh, luxury, luxurious life to, to fight for him. But actually, they are doing this for their country, not for a person, not for a political party, not for anybody. They are doing it only for this piece of land, this glorious piece of land called Syria. And this is... And fighting is not only by the arms, by the way. So I would like to... To, to thank all those people fighting in different ways. Teachers going to schools and giving lessons, doctors going to hospitals and giving health care to people, journalists going to dangerous areas, journalists who are trying to write the word of truth no matter what the outcomes or the aftermath is. So all those are real fighters and those are real heroes. And I hope that people who can, who, who speak of Syrian army and all groups fighting terrorism who describe them as Assad men or Assad militias or, or regime, regime fighters or whatever, just take a moment with yourself and look at the mirror. Do you actually believe what you are saying? Do you really believe that this is the truth? Do you really believe a person who stays in his country, on his land to defend his people, And to defend his dignity. Do you consider that to be a criminal? Or the real criminal is somebody who goes to somebody else's country and invades it. So who's the real real criminal? Just take a look at the mirror and have a moment with yourself. And ask yourself, who am I kidding? Am I kidding myself? Is this what you really want to teach your children? Because your children in the future... Trust me, they will be endangered by being brainwashed in the future much more than now. And in the future, brainwashing will not be only about saying that this is Assad's regime or Assad's fighters or whatever, whatever. No, they will be brainwashed by extremists, by jihadists in a very easy way. So if you want to teach your children to accept lies and to take facts for granted without questioning them. Well, you're preparing your child for a very, very scary future. Because if your child learns to accept lies at this early stage, in the future, he will be ready or she will be ready to accept any lie. And that lie would be much better, much scarier, I'm sorry, than what you have fed your child. So wake up, because the threat is not only within the map of Syria. It is not within the 100,080 kilometers of Syria. The threat now is much, much, much wider. And it's right at the step of your door. So be very careful. All people, just wake up and give up on all those liars, all those politicians, all those mainstream media channels. Listen to those people who are saying something different, who provide facts like Vanessa, when she did that amazing video on the White Helmets, she did not just go on babbling and shouting, these are terrorists, these are criminals. No, she did a very organized and very logical research. She put facts, she stated facts, she went to resources, and she put everything before the viewer's eye. This way, okay, I can listen to what she's saying, and I can talk to her, and I can discuss with her. So people should do the same thing. Follow people who argue, argue logically, who try to put truth objectively, even if that truth is against them. So, I hope I hope that my message gets gets to 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 a wild to a wild uh, to a huge number of people. I hope so.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you, you've, uh, you've made some fantastic, uh, points, uh, Jamila, and I'm sure they resonate with our listenership and, and beyond and beyond. And, uh, we've got a few minutes left in this segment, right? I just wanted to pass over here to my colleagues in studio. I've got, uh, Mike Robinson and, uh, Vanessa Beeley and, uh, Mike or Vanessa, do you, uh, have any questions or do you want to make any comments, uh, to Jamila, um, to be, you know, based on this conversation? There's anything that we haven't covered yet. Um, and by the way, before we do that, uh, Jamil, I just want to say on some deep level, uh, I believe that the psychopaths in Washington are kindred spirits with the psychopaths in Raqqa on some level. Um, <laughs> it, maybe they share a spiritual uh, kindred spirit or something. But um,
1: they, are. they are. Trust me, they are.
0: They understand each other somehow. Um, yes. Which is, which is, I think, why we're seeing this. Uh, they
1: situation. have a strange chemistry. They have it's, it's chemistry, somatic
2: it's <laughs> chemistry between them.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is extraordinary. Uh, Mike, Vanessa, do you want to add anything or, or uh, ask uh, Jamila any question?
2: No, I mean, uh, just from my perspective, uh, incredibly moved by what you said and, and deeply um, disturbed by a couple of the stories that you told. Obviously. Um, and, and I think, Patrick, you asked the question that I wanted to ask, um, from, right from the beginning, which was, you know, um, these warriors that are on the ground in Syria that are protecting, uh, their families, the, the, the future of Syria, um, and the past of Syria, you know, they're defending an incredible culture that has existed for centuries that, that outstrips anything that America has to offer culturally or, or from a civilization point of view. And we're seeing this this rape of cultures and heritages um, across the region in, in Yemen and in, in Syria. And um, I, I guess in a way I'd like to hear Jamina... Um, how you feel about that? Um we've talked about, you know, and I'm so glad that you answered that question about the fact that the Syrian Arab Army is described as um Assad's Ba'athist army, you know, all these other derogatory terms that are just disgusting when they're they're put in context with the with the incredible sacrifices that these men, young men and women are making and the the sheer horror, you know, we all watched that execution or we had to watch it for research purposes, unfortunately. Um, but that's only one of many. And to see these, these guys being put through this terror mill by our governments is, is just, as you say, it's horrifying. But I just maybe like, um, a word from you on, on how you feel about this this rape of your culture as well, this rape of the of the heritage, the historical heritage of not only your nation, but as we know of Yemen, um, of, of Libya, of the region. How you feel about that? Oh wow.
1: As you're talking like uh, I'm coming to tease as I think of this is very difficult. As I think of Palmyra. The mm. Dino do you, do you yeah. Palmyra and the huge, that huge center of civilization, Aleppo. That was one of the best stops in Silk Road. that, that is over th- seven thousand years old. In the Rozer, we have very very old Syrian civilization uh, centers in the um, north of Syria where the heart of the assyrian culture was thousands of years ago in in busra the amphitheater of busra that is that is really it's it's too sad when i see that heritage destroyed and you know store, stones come and go but also there is something destroyed in our soul there is there is this part that it, that we have lost there is something the the passion for life that we have as, as Syrians. the uh, it's, it's really it 's really difficult to 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 even to even recall this but it's it's imagine a part of your heart being taken as you are awake without any some sort of um, What do we call them? What do you have before surgery? They give you something to sleep. And And yes, imagine somebody putting you to surgery without that. Imagine how painful would it be? Somebody cutting your body and trying to take something from inside. Well, this is much, much less painful than seeing Aleppo, that beautiful, beautiful city, that beautiful capital Of economy in Syria. To see Homs, Homs, it has people of Homs are very known all over Syria to have the lightest soul that you can ever meet. Now, you go to Homs and you see all those faces burdened with death and burdened with sadness and burdened with worry for everyday life matters. Seeing that all that brightness all that shine all that glory turning into sadness and pain and and i don't know i don't know i am starting to lose words now but it's it's really heartbreaking but i hope i hope and i hope that people will be able to to stand on their feet again and what, what has happened has happened. You cannot change it. But you can always try to create a better reality. We want people to be empowered. We want to empower people. And this is where media has a very great role. You should empower people by motivating them, not by saying Aleppo is burning. No, you say Viva Aleppo. So I hope that we will be able to... To stand up again on our feet. We will never forget what happened. We will never get over what has happened. Never. I can never get over seeing somebody slaughtered in the name of religion. I will never be able to understand seeing beautiful cultural centers in my country being destroyed. Syria has been the heart of civilization since I can't remember that when. Damascus is the oldest inhabited capital in the world. The first alphabet in the world was written in Syria, in Ugarit. The civilization of Mary, the civilization of um, of Qasr al-Hir, the civilization of the Assyrians, of the Akkadians, of all those people. The beautiful mixture that we have in Syria of different uh, ethnicities and different nationalities. We have Kurds and we have Armenians and we have Yazidis and we have all those people living together. I don't want to lose that. I don't want Syria to turn into a place where we have a a Christian town and a Muslim town and a Kurdish town and a Yazidi town. No, I want us to be back where we live all together together. Door next to door and happily we I don't want and by the way I don't want people to forget because if you forget what has happened, this is a big problem. No, I want people to learn a lesson from what has happened, to know that going and asking for help for somebody to kill your brother is is, is very ugly. If you have a problem with your brother, sit with him and talk to him and then you will reach a solution. It's much better than destroying the house where you live in, because no matter where you go, no matter where you live, even if you had the fanciest palaces. Now, if I go to Switzerland and they give me a very beautiful palace and they make me a princess, well, that would be nice. But Switzerland is not my homeland. It is not where I belong. It is not where my great-grandparents have lived. It is not where young men and women and people of all ages have sacrificed their blood for that land. So there will be something missing. Why? Because when you don't belong to a place, when you die, your soul will not be comfortable. So I really want people inside Syria to learn from this very hard lesson and to get over all those silly differences they have, political differences, this is normal. This is acceptable. Accept the other. Talk to the other. And listen. Listen to each other. And never, ever expect that leaving your country is the best solution. And this is a message to all people who, who left Syria thinking that where they are going will be better. Because sooner or later, you are strangers there. The only place where you are citizens and where you feel that you belong is your country. So if you truly love Syria, if you truly care for Syria, come back. Come back and restore that beautiful heritage that we have, that cultural heritage that we have, that culture of love and of tolerance that we have always known. Come back and restore that. If you don't believe in that, okay, stay wherever you want to stay, but you have absolutely no right to tell me what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. You have no right to tell me who rules me and who leaves the government. This is my right because I chose to stay here. This is my right because I refused to leave that culture and that heritage and that that very dear piece of land for somebody else to take it. And if you go then you are leaving an empty place for uh, somebody else, for a terrorist, to come and occupy your house. So come back to your house and come back to your country and rebuild what has been destroyed. And the stones of Palmyra have been lost. Okay, we have enough time to begin a new civilization, to, to work together until our beautiful culture heals and give the entire world a beautiful lesson in how can we rebuild and how can we start something. And the future generations will thank us for what we have done. Children who, have, who are now five years old, children who were born in 2011 and are now five years old, try to do something for those children so that when they are 20, they will thank you. And they will remember your deeds, just like now. We remember the great achievements of Zenobia and the great achievements of all the beautiful civilizations in the past. So life is not only about the past. You can choose to make the past and the future if you are really determined on doing that.
0: And uh, Mike, do you have a a comment for Jamila? All All I want to say very simply is, you know, I've been doing this type of work for a number of years now, and it never ceases to amaze me how you meet inspirational people. I mean, some of the things Jamila is saying, hugely tragic, hugely sad. The people that are doing this in this world, that carries the Camerons, can't win when there's somebody like this alive. And that's all I really want to say. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me and all the people working with me and all the people working on the ground in Syria. Like, your words and your support, even if we don't see you, even if we don't know you, but actually seeing somebody from the US or from Britain or from Australia or any place around the world, Showing this support to me and to all Syrians here without even knowing us, this is really empowering. And I would really like to thank you for your great role because you cannot imagine the huge effect you have on people here. You give them hope, you give them strength, and they believe that there is somebody somewhere on this planet supporting them and feeling for them and believing in their cause and their right to a free and independent and um, life full of dignity
0: thank you Jamila Um, it's a powerful uh, powerful statement powerful testimony by you today Uh, very valuable for our listeners and uh, I'm sure many people will listen to this program uh, even if they do in a year's time or two years or five years time um, and to mark the words uh, which were said today uh, because I believe these are the words of the truth but uh, thank you so much for your time
1: Thank you so much. And please follow us on Shababik, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We are trying as much as we can to, to, to cover areas that are ignored by, um, by mainstream media. And we welcome any participation from anybody, any material, uh, written material or visual material, because we believe that people are the true journalists. We don't want... Um, any propagandas. We only want people showing the truth. So today I did a very humble role in delivering the voice of some of the people that I know. And I think that every little participation could be of great importance to all those Syrians who really want to uh, stay strong and to survive this, this ugly and hideous war.
0: And uh, we look forward to the launch of your website as well. Uh, yes,
1: hopefully next month.
0: Shababik uh Surya.
1: It would be now uh, the website would be uh, would be different it's a kind of surprise. We have a different we chose a different uh domain name that would be a surprise but um the I would give you a little hint. Um we want this website to be some sort of well the, the concept of shababik is a window. Shababik is the Arabic word for uh windows. Mm -hmm. So when we chose that name, we wanted to give the impression that come to our windows, the Syrian windows, and look through our windows to see what is happening. Do not go to CNN window or to um, Al Jazeera window. Come and see this window that from which you can see the street immediately. You don't need to have a studio or something. And then the idea developed, and the project actually aims at being able to make those people see through our eyes. We want them to see uh, with a naked eye, without any um, without any filtering, without any propagandas. So th- we chose a different domain name. That would be some sort of uh, surprise. And I hope that next month you will be able to see um, our website. And little by little, we hope to be able to build something of great use and great benefit to our beloved Syria. And for Syria, we do anything. And um, we resist more thousand years for Syria if it takes. And I hope that what my, what me and people working with me are doing uh, will be of, of, of good to um, all people living now and people in the future, inside and outside Syria, Syrians and foreigners. I hope that we will be able to be as objective as possible and as authentic as possible. And um, we are always uh, ready to listen to all your critiques, all your thoughts, and all your comments. That would make us improve our work all the time.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jamila Asi uh, from Shababik Soria. And uh, we're going to take a short uh, commercial break and we'll be back with our next guest after the break. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. Stay right there. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com.